Modern markets require modern investment approaches, and with Yield Street, that's what you'll get. Explore wealth growing investments in art, real estate, venture capital, and more, with minimums starting at just $500 and targeting annual yields of up to 18%. Discover the difference a diverse portfolio makes and trade volatility for stability with Yield Street. Visit YieldStreet.com to get started. That's YieldStreet.com. Do you know how many files your employees have uploaded, downloaded, emailed, airdropped, slacked, or shared via Google Drive today? A lot of that data has left your organization, and you don't even know it. Visit Code42.com to learn how Insider prevents data exfiltration. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 69 of Get Out of Rap. Today, I'm joined by Rob Wilkinson. We first mean Rob first. Oh, good product placement for those watching on YouTube. Thanks, Rob. Um, Rob just used the get out of rap flask that all the guests get. Um, we, I first came aware of Rob, like a lot of people, I think, looking at um, call center helper. And you were twice, I think we'll dip, we'll dip into this if I've got it wrong, um, second or in the top, definitely top five of most respected people in the contact center industry. Yeah, and we met wow. and we we spoke and um, we've been in touch ever since. It's long overdue, but Rob Wilkinson, welcome to Get Out of Rap. Thank you very much for having me. No, it's uh, it's it's like stepping into the telly. It's very strange. <laughs> it is. I still don't get used to it. Um, I could have gone on for ages with your introduction, but that kind of would have you'd have been sat there going, "Okay, when's when's my bit?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I suppose I've, I've done a few, uh, I've had a few uh, bits of experience throughout the time, but I guess um, the, you know, getting those uh, acknowledgements back in the day, um, it was quite a surreal time anyway, but they they keep they keep appearing again and people bring it up and say, oh, I remember you did this and you did that, oh, you're the guy who did that. And so I suppose uh, I've got a lot to thank that uh, period for. And yeah, I can certainly kind of talk a little bit about those 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 two times at some point if you'd like me to go through that yeah definitely definitely i want to do the the rewind um where did this all start for you so you absolute evangelical um subject matter expert you love contact centers um but where where did this journey start for you okay so late 90s i won't put a definite year on it uh, to give you know my youthful looks away or anything uh so late 90s i uh, made my first phone call um i don't know if you would call it a contact center if you compare it to today because it was literally a bank of desks a load of landlines and a load of white pages which were the business pages back in the day i think um, you, i think that classes it as it doesn't it some people have asked me that actually about it is me and my five friends that have set this thing up is that a call center yeah it is i mean it's it's people talking to customers isn't it yeah uh, it's just that that was a sales uh that was the first time i've done any kind of sales um it was uh gas and electric market had just been kind of is it demonopolized i don't know what the word is Um, privatized yeah unprivatized oh Oh, yeah you know when they knocked all the walls down and said you can sell it everywhere because yeah for the kids that don't know you used to have to buy your electric off your local provider you didn't have any other option uh clearly not the case anymore but uh, that was at the time brand new um so i got into this business to business it was basically i was setting appointments up for blokes in suits to go out in their cars and 
and do the proper selling. Um, and I got paid a pound for every appointment that I sell. Um, on top of a basic salary, I'd say, otherwise I'd have to say I've got more appointments. Um, yeah, and it was my first foray into using the phone to make money. Um, I, I turned out I was all right at it and did okay, uh, and uh, you know managed to make a living out of it. And that was the starting point for, for me, because at that point, that day, I'd never done anything like that. Um, quite the opposite, in fact. So that was my first foray, so like I say, late 90s. Um, then something else that will be a blast from the past, but my next job after that was I moved to a proper contact centre, big kind of operation with hundreds of people in it. And that was teletext from a, a teletext yeah. holidays. Yes, I do. So, and CFAX, so basically, um, again, for those that are too young that are listening, this was before, well, not before the internet, but before the internet was big. And um, you used to go onto the telly and you used to be able to see lists of holidays for £30 or something. Um, and then you'd ring a phone number up to try and book it. And I would tell you that the only way you could book it is if you go from Luton, when you live in Manchester, uh, at 3 a.m. Uh, on a specific date and fly back into Preston. And yeah, something like that. And then obviously I'd upsell you to other holidays. And so that was my kind of second job. And I did the usual kind of, the, the, the great thing with contact centers, which is you can progress. So that was the first time I got a taste for leadership and team management and I worked my way up. Um, but I was in my twenties. And um, the good thing about working for a company that do holidays is um, you can go on holidays and uh, you can also become a holiday rep. So I used to do both. So really? um, yeah, call centers in the winter when it was, when the weather's crap. Um, and then uh, in the summer go abroad and, uh, and actually be a holiday rep. I did that a couple of times. Um, uh, and yeah, uh, that was kind of like a great couple of years uh, and a fab, fab, fab company to work for. It was called My Travel back in the day. Uh, it used to be Air Tours. I don't know if you remember those names at all, but uh, yeah. So I did the whole CFAX thing, Teletext thing as my another job. Um, I actually met my, my wife while I was working abroad as well, my current wife. So we've been together for a lot of years again <laughs> and then and when I was I was actually her rep she'll kill me for saying that on on a podcast but yeah I was actually her wow. rep earlier today so you could say that um that if it wasn't for working in a call center I wouldn't have met my wife very really you know, true that's yeah great. I love it and we'll, we'll work um was the my travel they flexible enough to keep welcoming you back was that kind of a normal thing or yeah people did it. lots of people did it the other way around weirdly so some people would go and they'd work during the summer in the call center in the uk and then they'd go and do ski seasons uh over the winter and 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 be the reps over in the ski resorts because they were into the ski so they, it was total normal yeah and they obviously because they had that ability to do that um it, they just had flexible working and, and and made it work and accommodated that if you think about it as well, there's no one better to sell a holiday than someone who spends yeah. half, their, half their time there as well. So there was an argument for that um, uh, as being a good reason to support it. And, you know, even back then, which is, you know, 20 years ago, more, um, you know, contact centres and call centres were, were, were very about people, all about people, always have been. Um, and that's, um, you know, that, that a, a good example. There was lots of bad examples of contact centres around those dams the whole battery hen perception of people being plugged in and have to put a hand up to go to the toilet i'm really lucky that i never found that um situation for me um but i had heard about it um so so yeah but that was um, that was that was great and that was a really cool and exciting couple of years it's a shame isn't it that that 
you know, think about all the time you've been in contact centres, same as me. Um, that battery head perception, you've never come across it. I, I haven't in terms of it, the perception matching the reality. Mm. Um, but that very first step into the contact centre that you made, was that driven from necessity? Was it a shock? What was that, that kind of appointment setting? As a young man, you go into it and you're like, okay. So obviously, like I said, I'd never done anything like that before. Um, and uh, it's probably important to give you a little bit of a pre my first job, if you like. So I left home quite young and I left uh, school. I got enough to do a few GCSEs, but not, certainly nothing that I should have done um, if I'd have done what I was capable of doing. And all of that comes around to some stuff around my family life and my home life and stuff which I won't bore everyone with. But I found myself in quite uh, uh, tricky situations as a result of being quite young and out on my own. Um, and I managed to get myself into debt and I get a little bit of trouble and drank a lot more than I should have done. Um, and then I found myself in a situation where I was actually classed as homeless. Now, it sounds worse than I thought it was at the time. I was sofa surfing. So, and that's the thing that we didn't call it back then. I was just crashing at my mate's houses because yeah. nowhere else had had me. But um, literally, my uh, I didn't have the place that I could call home, and I had to live out of a bag and, and the boot of a car. And then, yeah, so that, that I was I ended up actually to a point where I didn't have a job, and I was uh, living in a bed and breakfast, and that was kind of my low point. Um, and that was the time where I had to make a choice. So I was given options where I could go and work in a bakery delivering buns for minimum wage, um, or I could get something out of myself and go and sort myself out. So I had a bit of a moment, a bit of a wake-up call, and realised that I didn't want to earn minimum wage. I've always been a bit more ambitious than that. Um, and I, I'm a big believer in my own capabilities. So I grabbed something else that will be another one for the kids, but a paper an actual newspaper and I went to the classifieds in the back of the, the newspaper and I read it on my bed in my bed sit and um, there was a there was a job in the next town over that would have been a few bus a short bus ride away um, for telesales agents um, and that's how I got into it I, I had I didn't uh, I don't think anybody says when I grow up I want to run a contact centre um, mm. some might nowadays I hope they do nowadays yeah I hope so uh, but, but back then, certainly, you, you, you know, you didn't. Um, and uh, I've always been told I had gifted the gab by everybody from, like, very young. Um, so I decided that I'd give this 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 a go. Anyway, I went in and I got asked what relevant, <laughs> I got asked what experience I had. And my response was, and I guess this is where I, sometimes I'm, I'm honest to a fault. My response was a really crap experience, actually. I'm, I'm homeless. <laughs> and it was kind of like... There was this like that wasn't what they were expecting me to say, <laughs> uh, and I, I remember her name, Michelle Fish, was the lady who was interviewing me, um, and uh, she was intrigued and um, dug a little bit deeper. I was very forthcoming, and um, after a short period of time, she said, "Yeah, you know, come and join us, and and, and we'll take a chance on you." Um, so yeah, not not kind of not look back really, and 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 that was how I got into it all. So it came from a very uh, negative place really um but someone gave me a chance and this is what i think I, I, I go on about and i go back to a lot when people talk to me about contact centers for me that that has saved my life i mean that i could have gone 
I, I could have channeled all that energy in the wrong ways. Um, I could have been turned down. I could have not been given the opportunity. Um, but I found something uh, in the middle of all that crap that I was going through um, that I was good at and I was able to apply myself to. And this was something I probably should have done many years before. I just didn't have the kind of people around me to make sure that I was channeling things in the right way. Um, but as soon as I started to do that, um, I started to enjoy life a little bit. And, uh, and that's kind of why, why I've got a lot to thank contact centres for. I love that. That's actually giving me goosebumps. I, I love I love that because knowing what you've gone on to do since, um, it's just amazing, mate. Uh, I think as well, it points to, to your point about the unique opportunities that contact, center, contact centres give people from all walks of life. I, um, I can remember running an outbound sales team and... I'd like to think that when I say we, I mean the industry in general, as evidenced by your story, was ahead of the curve in terms of we hired for personality. So it, it, I can remember speaking to our HR department and we started off with a test team for an outbound sales operation. We had like 10 in the team and we just it was to prove a concept because we previously outsourced all of our outbound um, so this was going to be the first inbound team. The team of 10, they were great. Um, all your usual characters that you get in a team. Um, and we, we, we proved a point. And then we had, looking back now, a ridiculous ramp of people from, you know, not, uh, 10 to over 100 in three months, four months, something like that, where it was... People were bursting, you know, we, we were close to um, breakdown uh, just because it was continual and changing incentive plans. Anyway, I'll never forget, and I'm still in touch with him, uh, a guy, his only other, he, very similar to yourself, he'd, but he'd lost a job as um, a door-to-door -door utilities sales sign-up. Um, and HR came and said, can you come and speak to us about this guy and maybe even come and see him because he's uh, practically illiterate. And just getting to talk to this guy, uh, he'd had such a tough background, but though that he just had a great personality. He really wanted a chance. He, you know, no, no polished interview technique at all was just raw and authentic yeah. much you know that kind of comment that you made I just some of the things that he said um unfiltered yeah Truth. yeah but it, you know um I was just kind of maybe thinking right we're gonna have to do something about the effing and jeffing because that's not gonna work but when this guy says give me an effing chance I, I I need it it's gonna change my life and then it was a privilege to be in the same team as this guy to see what, what he did. Obviously, there's a lot of work from team leaders, training teams. Um, but now, again, textbook story. Now he is in one of the support functions. It was workforce management. Now I think it's finance. He's a manager. Um, he's He met his wife. He's got kids. All of this because of contact centres and 
recruiting for personality, actually taking the time to sit and try and get to know someone and think, is this person going to be a good fit? And I, I love our industry for that. It's, it's, I don't know if there's another industry that creates that sort of, not just the, the initial opportunity, which, you know, it obviously has you know, sales service. There's loads of ways of getting your foot in the door. Um, but the nurturing environment, hopefully, and I mean, I, 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 there are stories from back in the day that we've already touched on around, you know, negative contact center practices. Um, and in any industry, you get a, a kind of range of quality in terms of, yeah, of course. the types of places that, that you find and the way they work. Um, but ultimately, the, the, there are some very supportive and very nurturing environments that you can find yourself certainly comparison to a lot of industries even i think when we don't get it great in contact centers we still do a lot more and a lot better than some industries do um and certainly nowadays it's far more the norm that you will actually find a very comprehensive structure to onboarding and nurturing people and building careers and giving opportunities and comments and all that kind of stuff um so i think there isn't there isn't another sector um that that you can really say does the same, has the same opportunity and way of working. And, and that gives people a foot in the door to go off and do other stuff. Um, I, I, you know, I know from hiring lots of different people over the years that people sometimes get into contact centers because they, they want to work for that company. They necessarily want to be on the phones, but they want to work in marketing and they see that as a great way of getting in there or, or even people who want to work in finance or even legal. I mean, the, to cut your teeth within a business in some way to get to know the customers stands you in great stead for whatever role. And I think that's kind of the beautiful thing about it. And um, I think that's, yeah, I'm a massive advocate of it as, a, as an opportunity for people. Um, and, you know, when I then look at, when I stopped being a bit holiday reppish and get, well, um, found the love of my life and came home, uh, I then had to get a job <laughs> again. A proper job because uh, uh, we, we didn't live anywhere near each other so uh, I, uh, I, get, I went to what I knew and I found contact centers so I went to work for a telecoms company I, I would drop brands in but um, this was my uh, real kind of development role so this was I started on the phones no, no danger back on the phone selling um, outbound retention the really kind of hardcore bite in the next 10 seconds or I'm going to hang up on your type thing um, back in the day uh, and I'm basically very quickly got a team manager's job after a few months and that turned into uh, a secondment into business change and process improvement, which for me was just like I'd found this thing that I was really great at. And at the time, it was purely to give me exposure to the broader business because I was ambitious. I was saying, I want the next role. I've got my manager's job. I want to get the next thing. And they were like, well, you need to calm down a bit because you've got no idea how everything works. You know, there's kind of when you get that level, you need to understand everything that feeds into it. You need to have relationships with people in those other departments and, and all that kind of Whoa stuff. Oh, there, Tiger. Yeah, one of those, <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, in fact, the, the, the guy who gave me the team manager's job actually said to me that um, something that you just said before, he said that you're like, a, you're like a rough diamond and we're really looking forward to helping you. And that, that's something you don't get told when you start new jobs. Anyway, sidetracked. So yeah, I did this a comment into business change and, and, and process improvement. And it was Six Sigma and it was quite new. I've never been academically inclined, I call it. Um, but I, but I, when I can put something into practice and apply it, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Um, 
And this was me basically just learned, this was the, like, there was about a nine to 12 month period where I really had my eyes open to how, how operations work. Um, and I was in a big business as well. So there was really good opportunity to get in some really meaty projects and, and to really understand how the value, the, the amount of value you can actually add by making efficiency savings here, there and everywhere. So, so I did that, really enjoyed it. And then I was like, right, okay, where's my next job then? Um, and it was basically, uh, I went to, I had to go to another company because um, our company was recruiting from external, bringing new talent in. Uh, and I just decided that I'll be that new talent and I'll go somewhere else and, and I'll take the stuff I've learned here somewhere else to progress my career and look after me, um, which I did. Um, but unfortunately, I got made redundant about 12 months later. Um, and that was running a con uh, I was the head of contact centers for a, a customer service operation, managing a, um, a contract for another telecoms company. Uh, and, you know, this had all happened super fast. I'd gone from being on the phone to running a multi-site operation uh, within several years. Um, uh, with a stint of business change in the middle. Um, uh, but I kind of felt that I knew everything. <laughs> so so <laughs> I think it was a lot bigger by then. <laughs> I'm a lot more realistic nowadays. Um, but uh, I basically, I saw it as an opportunity to put myself out there. So I spoke to a couple of the directors that used to be at the, the original um, teleco company that gave me loads of opportunity. And they'd actually recently moved on to other things. Um, they gave me opportunities to go in there and do a bit of day rate consultancy, um, kind of like uh, come in and have a look, tell us what you think you'd do to make things better. And, and I spent a few days in there reporting back and then that turned into opportunity to, to spend a few months in those places and, and do some work there. Uh, and that was the start of my consultancy. So uh, I basically set up my own company doing that which was I call them MOTs for contact centers with my hopefully strong understanding of the different roles in contact centers combined with how they kind of operate and the technical side of it and how they function and how the processes work uh, through to being able to engage people to do things differently, found it just kind of like a natural thing to go in, talk to loads of people, find out, get under the skin of stuff, put in a plan to make some improvements and then help people to do those improvements. And that was what I did. That worked very well. Um, and I, I, I built a business around that that lasted a number of years. And, and that kind of, that was fantastic. Um, and that was me living the dream at that point, because I'd always kind of wanted to be my own boss. Um, but I'd never really understood how I could go about doing it. So again, even though it's not really about the whole call center job thing, it, it's the spin-off of that, mm. the stuff I learned, the abilities yeah. that built and the opportunities that people then gave me that I built a network in the contact center sector just off like former bosses getting me in there and uh, and that was that was my consultancy uh doing contact center consulting um there was a moment there where we had a client that was needing to improve their recruitment approach and we built a, a model and approach that worked for them and then I realized there was quite a few clients that didn't like the traditional recruitment approach. This is uh, frontline, so agent level stuff, mm -hmm. um, kind of uh, purely that, the, the kind of volume piece. Um, uh, uh, there was a feel from a lot of people that uh, if you work with an agency, they, they throw mud and hope it sticks, almost like lots of numbers through the door, not really a lot of quality focus. And again, being a little bit cocky and arrogant, I said, well, I'll change all this. I'll, I'll make it. I'll, come up with a, a way of doing it that's better. Um, uh, and, and I kind of did, 
to, and I kind of found a couple, a couple of companies that liked it. I changed the pricing model, which made, made a bit of a no-brainer um, and gave me some reasonable cash flow. And then very quickly, I was building the team up. So I brought a manager in um, and then we built a team around her. And that was kind of five people. And this was lasted a you know, three-year period of running a rather different approach to recruitment on top of the consultancy stuff that I was doing myself. Um, and it was during that time that we were doing some sort of crazy stuff, like uh, we were providing free training courses to candidates because that was where I thought we needed to do the quality piece. We also supplied the same stuff to the contact centers, the clients, so that when they were onboarding people, they could use that, that, that stuff. Um, it helped us make sure that the caliber of the candidates was really strong but that they were supported and nurtured and all the rest of it through that process. Um, and then it meant that when they got in there, you know, induction, induction, induction to make a Channel 4 programmes uh, slogan and change it ever so slightly, um, meant that people were staying as well. So we were reducing attrition. And uh, that was the period of time where John T was very welcoming and letting me get in call centre helper and do kind of webinars um i was doing forums uh all of them uh, i think i used to annoy sandra and trevor uh and Anne-Marie all the time uh banging on the door offering them free stuff which they loved and got me out to do and it worked uh but it gave me a lot of uh, again more exposure to, to to so many different contexts that that's kind of a total of six years of consultancy and consulting and doing that recruitment work I must have spent time with over 100 contact centers easy because I'd just awarded yeah, wow. and all that kind of stuff as well. So you kind of get to see mm -hmm. all of that. And that just gave me such a broad perspective of, of the different levels of things and the different ways of working. And I just, I was such an enjoyable period of time. Uh, and I kind of felt that by giving back, by doing loads of the content and webinars and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it, I mean, there was a selfish part of it, which was to raise my profile in order to, you know, for the business to be, you know, to succeed, of course. Uh, I won't pretend that it was anything else, but there was also an opportunity to give stuff back in, in, into the community. And that, I mean, even two days ago, I got someone on, on LinkedIn posted a thank you for that, that post you made that, that content because I've, I had a, had homework for my contact center to go and come back with this like these I think it was different types of questioning questioning techniques this is a this is a training piece that we were using back in the day and I put it all over my LinkedIn profile eight nine years ago and someone mm. literally a few days ago I still get stuff like that now uh thank you for showing such great content and stuff and you're kind of like awesome <laughs> that's cool um so so yeah that that's the time when I think when the most respected stuff was being done, um, you know, John T would go out and invite people to nominate and then there'd be a list of a hundred or so people and, and they'd be voted on. Um, it was kind of, I heard that someone had put me forward for it, um, which was great. That for me was brilliant. That was in the mix with all this stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit of a, I have imposter syndrome throughout this whole period. Uh, partly I think from where I come from, uh, also the speed at which stuff has happened to me uh i kind of don't really buy it <laughs> and i'm eight years on from winning those things and i still think it's the same thing <laughs> i still have the same thoughts um but yeah the uh the, the these awards came up um and the, the the first one was 2012 um and you've got the thing first place was was Anne marie stag obviously um in second place i think it was carolyn 
Blunt and then third place, Martin Hill Wilson. Might not have been that exact one, two or three. I should know that. That's probably naughty that I don't know. I was fourth. I mean, fourth. With those three names in front of you, you just go, what? Um, yeah, so that was a, my mind was blown. Um, and when you read all the stuff, it was all around the content that I put out there. So I guess you could argue that the audience that was voting was very familiar with me at the time. But nonetheless, it's quite cool. And I was certainly very happy and grateful. And I milked it for all it was worth in terms of raising my profile, of course, at the time. I of mean, course, you've got to. That, that, that helped me open a lot of doors, that. Um, but um, do you know what? That, 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 that was the one thing about that that wasn't great was that um, if you're in the top 100, all you got was kudos. So it was like you got the, you are on the list on the website, but you didn't get anything. Even if no you're award. Nothing. No, so John T used to kind of like do this thing, but he never gave you anything, which is fine. It's it, it's good to get uh, acknowledgement. Oh, well, everyone wants a trophy, though. Something you can touch. Did you know what tangible. I did? You made it. So, so I, I went through every single person in the top 50, I think, that came in, and, and I found their LinkedIn profiles, and I took I downloaded their LinkedIn photos, uh, found out where they worked and, where they, and the, the addresses of where they worked. And basically, I did a moon pig. So you know that you know that you can get the cards that say you're the best, but like front page thing. Yeah. So I one of those. But you're the best. Simply the best. Better than all the rest. And like I put the the LinkedIn profile fit picture on it. Some of which were grainy as anything because they're generally sneak screen scratch. <laughs> um, and then I wrote this article about how Jonty's kind of done all this good stuff and that this person has done so well. Uh, and then sent got them sent out in frames though, like not just the cards. I've got That's them all. Lovely. Through. A handwritten letter with every single one of them and sent them out to one saying, Jonty's a bit of a tight one. Uh, yeah, he'll kill me for that. Uh, <laughs> totally a bit not, not kind of giving us anything. So I thought I'd take it upon myself to do this. Um, and you know what? That's another case of um, putting something out there at some point, doing something a little bit differently that comes back to, to, to kind of reward you. So I'm sure this isn't the reason I, I got one of my next jobs, but. Um, Unfortunately for me, the, the, I focused too much on one part of that business, and 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 after a couple of really poor quarters, um, and uh, no new business coming in, uh, and I had to make everyone redundant and close that business down. Um, so that I won't been, on that. That must have been tough. It, it it was the most devastating thing I've ever had to do. Um, I cried. I, I won't pretend that I didn't, and I'm not talking about behind the scenes. I mean, I went into the office that I'd built um, mm. and to, to the team of people who had no idea it was coming. Mm. Uh, and, and yeah, and it was only a small team. Um, but and you know what? Their, their reaction was amazing. Um, I, was, I was really worried about how they were going to respond and, and they, were, they were worried about me, <laughs> so I kind yeah. of went, which was different. Um, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I wouldn't ever want to have to do that again. Um, it, it, I, I learned an awful lot. And again, in hindsight, you know, you you reflect and you, you kind of you think about where you went wrong. And there's lots of lear lessons learned coming out the other side of that. Um, and, and, and I think I'm certainly more resilient. And I'm, I'm, it's given me uh, a skill set that you can't learn doing anything else. And, and that's me trying to put a positive spin on things. But, yeah, that was tough. Um, it was the yeah worst, definitely the worst day in my life when I had to say that. And I've been through some tough tough mm. crap in my own way uh, a lot when I was a lot younger but but that was the, the, the horriblest thing to do because these were people who I'd spent years knowing that I was responsible for their mortgage you know or yeah. their rent 
um, and I had to bring that in and, and make sure it got to them. And then I had to go there after doing that for a number of years to tell them I couldn't do it anymore. And that that's what it was basically like. And because of the way the team was built and the, the kind of people that we hired, um, it was, yeah, it was horrible because they were really cool guys. Um, and we were a great team. And yeah, no one likes to let the team down, do they? So, no. But yeah, but it's, it, like, I mean, it's, it's like you say, and in fact, even if you go right back to the, the start of your journey, there's a lot to be said for what you gain from working in sales in terms of resilience, mentality, being able to, you you win or you learn, right? And I think um, that I, I, thanks for sharing it, first of all, but similarly, I look back to some key moments in my in my career and the things where I that I learned the most, there's definitely scarring. There's definitely uh, it being horrible at the time, you know. However, some of like you say, the lessons I learned from, like you standing in front of a room and letting a hundred people, about seventy people, it was, who I'd specifically gone out and employed, got gone and grabbed them for a startup that I was part of. Um, we went into administration suddenly and telling people, you know, one guy was on his honeymoon, another had just bought a house. Um, and even six months afterwards, I, I, if somebody said, you must have learned some lessons, I'd have said, I'll oh, get lost. Yeah, immediately. This, this, this is raw. It's horrible. I felt terrible. Um, like you, people are kind. People are lovely. Um, there were some angry reactions, but on the whole, people are just so kind and caring. I think that's our default, which is lovely. However, the lessons I think about now, and that's where I think um, partly some of the reason for this podcast, to tell you the truth, is wanting people at the early part of their career to learn from mentors that they might not get access to, like people like you. If they listen to this podcast, hopefully they'll they'll gain something that will help them it you know maybe not have to go learn the lesson but not have to go through the the hell that um yeah. forges forges that lesson you know so again and our industry is great for that that kind of your activity of taking the time to write to people yeah sure it helps you because people will go rob's a nice guy but you didn't have to do it it, it meant you you're making people feel good and i think that's kind of more power to you, right? That's our that's our industry in a in a nutshell. Hundred um, percent. There, there was a lot to unpack from what you said. I'm just kind of filtering through it now. the The other thing that I I really like that you said that I think people will resonate with is this concept of um, even at the point you are getting an award for um, or being recognised as one of the key influencers in the industry that you're part of, amongst you know the stars of the show you still you're still thinking me from Preston imposter syndrome yeah. is is fully in flight um I th and I, I think you know the lesson there for people is pretty much everyone has it or has had it at some point I've yeah. I've grown to know this yeah I mean I only I, I only even got that phrase probably last year yeah just syndrome it, it kind of thankfully kind of mental health and, and stuff is is really 
improving in terms of perception and willingness to talk about it. So I think the fact that there's a label for imposter syndrome that certainly I've only just come across. For me, it was, um, I, I, I felt like I was winging it for a very long time and that I didn't deserve to be succeeding uh, because I was kind of winging it or it felt like I was winging it. It's only after, I think, a couple of tumbles and a couple of periods of time of reflection that you recognise that everyone's winging it, really, to one yeah. degree or another. Some people are willing to wing it more than others, uh, and some people risk more, uh, and, and, and that's okay. That's all good. It's healthy. It's important uh, to understand that, though, because as soon as you realise that some of these people that you kind of maybe put up on a mantle for one of a better phrase it's it's not a negative thing it's a good thing it's good to have people you aspire to like be like and and, and emanate and, and all that kind of stuff uh role models are important but um they're all dead normal human beings um I, I, I'm, I, I'm kind of carrying away a little here but I, i'm doing that i'm going through this as we speak and i'll come on to it in a minute but you know martin hill wilson who's on that list that I mentioned there, and was again in the, the you know the next time around two years later. Offer deadline on Oak Street, mile three. Welcome to the housing market. I'm with Redfin, and I'm here to help. I need to sell my house. Great. Redfin charges a 1% listing fee when you buy and sell with us, which is more than half off the usual fee and saves you an average of $8,400. Oh, wow. Is that all? Uh, yep. I'm kidding. You had me at 1%. Want to win? Sell with Redfin. It's real estate done right. Bidding war at the offer's counter in five minutes. Average savings is Redfin refund plus 1% listing fee. Subject to minimums. Not available in all areas. Learn more at redfin.com. You coming to bed, hon? Yep. Honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow. 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 Some things never change. Like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie. I think I left the downstairs light on. P- please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. You know, I'm doing stuff with him right now behind the scenes. And that's kind of like, for me, it's a weird moment. Um, but he's definitely a, a human being, a very nice human being. But, um, you know, if you'd have told me seven or eight years ago that I'd be doing what I'm doing now, uh, yeah, nah. <laughs> I'd be like, really? Uh, but I'll, call, I'll come on to that because, yeah, there was a little gap to fill though because um, those things that I sent out, uh, so fast forward a few years, my business has gone up the spout. I'm kind of, I've got a baby on the way. <laughs> my wife is very, very pregnant. Um, and I have got nothing going on. Um, uh, and I think, no, she hadn't just been, she hadn't just lost a job, but it was, um, it was very, very much, uh, a, a time where I could have done with time. Yeah. 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 Uh, I rang the guy up, Matt Renston. So basically again, he was on the network. He was in the, all the forums. He was doing all, all the stuff that I was doing at the time, his, uh, voice of customer business, bright. I, I gave him a call and I said, we've met a few times, you know, he was similar to yourself, you know, been on the, 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 the circuit, you might want to call it. Uh, familiar and I had the, I had the number in my phone and uh, and I said to him look this is the score the businesses we've done we'd actually done a few collaborative projects and bits of marketing together so we you know it was not a cold call but I said <laughs> do any of your clients any of your contact centers you work with do any of them you know need someone like me with my skill set and he came back very 
kind of swiftly after a couple of days of speaking to, to, to his two directors and said, we'd like you to come and join us and help us to, to take right where we want to take it. Um, uh, he needed someone to help some, some look after some of his clients. And it was kind of like, karma is working in my favor again, yeah. wonderful thing. And one of the, the great things was one of the guys on that list who I, I'd, I'd always kind of, this guy set up the top 50 contact centers. You remember that? Um, yeah, I did, so, yeah. So Simon Thorpe, uh, again, another name that everybody knows in, in, in contact centers. And, and he'd, he was the sales director. Um, and when I got hired, I went down and I was doing my induction and he, came, and he was straight over and he said, so as soon as, as soon as Matt said that you were looking for something, I said, we've got to get him, we've got to get him in. He said, I was just like, oh, right, that's great. And I'm thinking, how do you know anything? How did you know anything? Imposter syndrome. I know nothing. He turned around to me, he said, he says, oh, yeah, I've, I've still got that uh, that photo you sent, that photo frame you sent me. I've still got it on my desk in the home office. And I was kind of like, yeah, I love it. oh, my God, right, okay. So that that kind of, yeah, they just it's, it's weird, isn't it? It's almost like, you, yeah, you just kind of, well, you put stuff out there and it comes back. Karma is a wonderful thing. Uh, a big believer in it. Um, LinkedIn Karma, you helped me out this year already. There's another example. So when I was having a bit of a rough time a few months ago, you took a call, let me whinge at you for an hour and and and, and were there for me when I needed someone to bounce off, which was fab. Um, not long after that, a couple of months later, I saw a few posts that were around the um, British Airways problems. That you were having getting yeah. some money back for some cancelled flights for the girls in their uh, you know the the efforts to be world beaters and world champions yeah. and um and it happened that I knew someone it's amazing and, it's, and a, it's the power of it's the power of connection it it's really power, is. it's the power of everything happens in relationships and I think your your point about you just you just for me the message I hear when you're talking and sharing is be a good person but just just keep going you know you 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 put content out there you did the thing with the awards you kept going after um the business just keep going and it and it's interesting you say about kind of imposter syndrome it is something that's come up quite a bit in this podcast and behind the scenes um people will say oh how do you do it how do you and I and I are you nervous or anything like that? And I say, look, I still don't like hearing myself, seeing myself, still don't quite know. It feels like you still don't quite know what you're doing, but ultimately I like it and I'm just gonna keep going. And if one person's list if one person listens or ten thousand, it doesn't really make any difference. I'm just gonna keep going. And I think that's what I hear in in your story, which outweighs the imposter syndrome, like they're, they made their fleeting moments, or that when you know everyone to some extent either has it or has had it, you back yourself because you've got experience, you've got skills, you've got relationships and a network in the industry. And to people listening who might not have that network and think, oh, I'm never going to get it. The only way you will ever get anything helpful is just to start, you know, allocate some time to establish a new relationship with someone in the industry. Because what I found, people are going to say yes. I ask people about the podcast all the time or when people ask me, I've helped other podcasts get set up that technically uh, competition. I don't care. I'm going to help. And it's the same as 
if you're listening to this, you don't have the same network you have, Rob, it's surely they've just got to start, right? 100%. Yeah. And, and you know what? It's like the only reason that I find it easier to deal with imposter syndrome now is that <laughs> A, I found a name for it. Um, B, I've got 20 years of winging it to know that I still feel like I'm winging it, but that's okay because yeah. it's working so far. And 20 years later, it's working. Uh, and everyone, and I, I do I do feel having been closer to a lot of people that a lot of people are winging it, and that's okay too. Um, so uh, yeah, it doesn't. I don't think it uh, underestimates my capabilities. I think it's good to be honest about it and 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 be truthful about it because it helps other people. But I do kind of the relationship piece that you mentioned about uh, you know mentorship and and, and the, the the way that's so good in our sector. And there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that kind of don't have 20 years of experience behind them to be able to be confident in striking out and having a go anyway. Um, I think I still refer back to a piece of advice that a guy who mentored me through the one of the contact centres that I mentioned earlier when I was going through the kind of whole becoming a manager and, a, and the secondments and all that kind of stuff. So guy, the Mike Healy, a guy name drop it, he probably won't be listening, but it doesn't hurt in case he does. He gave me a real strong piece of advice that I've always carried through and I, will, I always talk to, to people about it and it's about managing your toolkit and keeping, keeping it full. So he likened it to uh, every time you learn a lesson and every time you have an experience and you come out the other side of it with, with either something that you've achieved or something you've learned, that put it in a toolkit and, and do it in your head. Actually pretend you're putting that new thing that you've learned or that new experience you've got and remember to put it in that toolkit because by doing that little process, that toolkit gets fuller and fuller. And the more full your toolkit gets, the more confident you become in your own abilities. And if you don't remember to do that, it's very easy just to go on, keep going and forget that all that stuff you're accumulating along the way that's got so much relevance and importance to your abilities and what you're capable of doing that if you don't keep a track of it, you don't reflect on it and you don't, don't make sure you remember to have confidence in it, you, you won't succeed as much because you'll always be at the beginning of that winging phase because you're not keeping a track or a record of your achievements. And I think that would be the heart, the biggest piece of advice I'd give to anyone who's starting out on this journey because you know, that, that toolkit's only as full as you keep it and you'll only remember to do that if you, you consciously go, go and put stuff in it. I love the visualisation. I think that's really, that's for me, straight away, I was just thinking, right, if I go back to when I was first a team leader or first a contact centre manager, the first time we devised an induction plan, okay, take that and put that in the mm. toolkit. Then we did incentives, take that and put that in the toolkit. I love it. I love it. Why haven't I thought of that sooner? It's a simple thing, isn't it? It's so Lovely. simple. Yeah, it's but great. I, I, I certainly wouldn't have had the confidence to do half the stuff I've done um, with that layer of imposter over the top of it to try and break through that without having my, my tool bag along for the ride. You know, and, and these are the subtle things that, that you pick up that hopefully everyone has someone who shares stuff like this with them. Back, back in the day, there, was, there wasn't two guys chatting on a podcast where however many people can come and listen to it can, can pick these tips up. I was, you know, you had to be fortunate enough to have someone invest time in you and share these things with you and help you do that. Um, fortunately, that's been the case for me and I've, I've been very lucky in that respect. Um, can, I just ask, can I just ask you something about the, 
um, consultancy that you did. You know, you mentioned the number about going in, you, you must have gone in, been exposed to, were, spoken to uh, like a hundred different um, contact centres. Yeah, I stopped um, counting a hundred. <laughs> yeah. Genuinely, I, I had to. <laughs> did, did, if you could distill, here's the question then. You can only give one or two bits of advice in terms of what were the things that you encountered the most and the salute, what were the standout two things that were common across all of the, all of those interactions? You mean in terms of where they're doing things right, what they're focusing on? Right, yeah, right or wrong, which, you know, in terms of you have, you have to share from all of those times that you interacted, they went, Rob, we'd really like you to do X, Y, Z, and you went in, um, the top two things that you found either good or you know good or bad in that and then again that would help people understand how to overcome it right yeah of course so i'd say the businesses that are smashing it that are doing well are the people that have uh, an equal focus on both their customers and their people so a lot of the time you can you get companies that are all about the customer or all about the, the teams. Um, if they crack it and they get it right with both, they're the ones that nail it all the time. And when I say that, I mean, in terms of whether they're providing customer experience or, you know, doing sales or whatever it is, um, focusing on your people as much as your customers gets you the best results. It's, you can't have one without the other. It's yin and yang. It's, it is what it is. Um, but, there's a lot of companies that don't get that mix right and they're scratching their head as to why you know this they're taking all this customer feedback and they understand exactly what the customers are unhappy about uh, but they're failing to make improvements in that and it's well because you're not looking after your people at the same time they deliver that impact they deliver that effect on your customers so if you don't look after them as much as you look after the, the you know it's you can't have one without the other um so that'd be I'd say the the where everyone who succeeds the strongest operations are the ones that do both very well. Love it. Um, Love it. The where where work negative something negative. not often i'm short of words <laughs> as you'd probably be able to tell it could be, be it could be another positive or something that you just thought there's a lot of similarities here got mind blank just gone completely mind blank for a second there well um, one of the thing one of the things that i was thinking that i thought was interesting from when you um spoke about that pit that that kind of consultancy as well was around the candidate experience so what you came up with um that then led to the, the this sort of ongoing ongoing success what what tip would you share from that in terms of um what should people be doing when they're looking at that that onboarding process it's it's about it's it's not about just getting back to people and communicating with people. It's about the quality of those those exchanges that you have. Um, there the really has been a a, a kind of poor uh, quality approach uh, that that 
high volume recruitment uh, has suffered from in the past, and I think it's been it's 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 struggled recently as well with the pandemic and the whole kind of the sheer number of people that are trying to get into work and the lack of communication or certainly quality communication um and delayed communications um it's that that that's the key to uh not just um nurturing the, the candidates in that process um but it, it what that does is it, it delivers on the candidate experience for that particular role it helps your brand in terms of your you know the perception of what kind of company you are um but um it means that other people will apply for jobs because they know they're going to get to hear from you they're going to know that they've got something to work from um, we would always give uh, feedback for candidates and we would always work with companies willing to do that it was part of our bit of a caveat thing like we'll only work with you if you do this that and the other um, and one of those was the way we got feedback for candidates um and it's about having almost like a gap analysis so if if this wasn't for me right now what what is the what is the thing that i need to be doing differently next time or uh, is that something i'm missing or is it something i've just failed to get across um, if it's something i failed to get across i know for next time um, if it's uh, something that I'm missing, I can go and plug that gap doing some other sort of work, voluntary work or whatever it is. Um, but um, focusing on the communication with the candidates, making sure that the feedback is strong. Uh, but don't just leave feedback at that point. Use feedback in, in when you hire people as well. So um, onboarding people, give them the same sort of feedback around gaps in, in work. They might have got the job, but they still need to focus on X, Y, Z. Don't treat everyone the same. So induction 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 don't have a one size fits all when you bring people in um uh, because people everyone's different everyone's got different needs and you need to cater for everyone's requirements um but but ultimately it's about the communication around all of this people it's look it's what we should be doing well we're contact centers it's what we do is communicate so for that not to translate into the hiring process it, it baffles me um, and when we did what we did um, and we built the processes around our recruitment approach. Uh, it drew on that, you know, everyone on the team was from a contact center background. They'd all been on the phone, they'd all managed the team. These people were doing the, the assessments and the, the phone calls and the interviews with candidates. So they understood where they'd been in the candidate's shoes. They'd also been in the hiring manager's shoes um, and they truly understood both sides uh, and they could be super empathetic uh, to the people, the clients they're looking after, as well as the candidates they were looking after, and that was very much by design. That wasn't a fluke, you know. That was, you know, why, 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 why do we have such a poor approach by some agencies around throwing a load of money overseas? Because they, they don't, they think it's easy to do this job, and it's not. It's one of the hardest jobs you can possibly do, mm. albeit one of the most rewarding with the biggest opportunities. Um, but, but it, it was, yeah, it, we we treated it, um, you know. We treated it correctly and we we focused on the quality side of it um so yeah does that answer your question it does yeah that's great i mean and again i think people will be thanking you for for sharing that because it's it's really important and it's it's very relevant um you you mentioned um martin hill wilson and doing some work with him is that something you can talk about yeah sure yeah i mean so yeah um so fast forward five or six years from getting the, the, the job with, with the Bright team. Um, oh, Bright. should we go back to that though? Where did you go after that? So Bright grew and 
and and that was super successful. Um, Matt sold uh, the business; it was acquired by Sabio. So um, that was a great few years. You know, that that's that's kind of like again one of the best teams I've, I've ever been a part of. And the, the going from a small handful of people in a room to you know two or three times as many staff to being acquired by um, a big business like Sabio, having won awards during that journey. Um, I mean, you have to. We had to roll our sleeves up, and we just wore many hats, and it was great. Yeah. And that's kind of that's that's having come from running my own business. There's there's obviously certain things I could bring to the table from that that perspective. But um, yeah, so we we got acquired by Savio, and and then I worked for Savio for three years under their brand. Um, same boss, same team uh, as as we were at Bright, um, looking after a few new clients, obviously, <laughs> um, and having our hands on a few more. There's a monumental shift in power at work. Employees are speaking up, turnover is rising, salaries are increasing, hiring is tough, and burnout is real. It's time to unleash growth. It's time to transform your HR from powerless to powerful. Join ADP on February the 23rd. Reserve your spot now. Go to gettheplan.adp.com to register for the Work Interrupted Summit pieces of kit um and and, and a part of a bigger group of people doing some pretty cool stuff um uh but yeah so so, so that was uh, last year um i was so it was locked down it was you know everyone's dealing with lockdown in their own way mm-hmm. i was like i because of the imposter syndrome thing i read a book last year um it's, i can't remember the name of the guy who wrote it but it's about working less and living more or it's, you're not technically working less hours, but you're working less because you're doing something you really enjoy. Um, that's what I, I kind of had when I was um, on the company, when I was part of the Bright team. I think um, I felt that that was maybe something that was less the case under the Savio brand because we were part of a much bigger t- you know, machine. Um, and last year, I was reading this book around how to you know, get more balance, I guess, um, and how it was part of it's around imposter syndromes, and that's how I kind of came to read the book. Um, and there's an exercise in this book. I can't remember the, the, the name of it, but it's the life of me. Um, we, can, we can share it when we um, talk about the episode. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll grab it and, and, and yeah, put it out there. But um, basically, there's an exercise in that book that they, it says to you, you know, what 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 dent are you going to make on the world what impact are you going to have what 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 do you want to be able to do you know what, what do you want to, it's not just about you know my cv this is about bigger picture thinking so there's lots of things you do with this exercise and it takes a long time um but the outcome is ultimately you decide that you want to do something that's going to be kind of have a, have a real impact and it's going to be something that's relevant to you and, and important to you so my outcome was um crazy as it sounds was to basically improve the experience for every single person in this country so i wanted to improve customer experience for every single person in the country it's quite a big thing to try and achieve but the the reality was if you chunk it down and you start with that great big ambition then you start to uh come up with ways of achieving it and only by starting to come with those ways of achieving it do you start to do things that put you in a situation where you might achieve it it's very similar to when you start out running a business actually there's certain similarities to that but um ultimately my idea was that if i can get to work with the right clients so big companies that everybody is a customer of at some point so your telecoms companies your utilities companies your banks financial institutions those kind of 
big guys are providing a level of service. And if I can, I can find a way of helping those to make improvements, I therefore am having a really positive impact on everybody in this country's yeah. customer experience, which I don't know whether it's purely down to COVID, but I think there's certainly a lot of people will agree that it's not the best um, right now. There's, there's mm-hmm. certain, this company is still at this moment harking on about COVID being the reason they can't answer the phones quickly. Which is yeah, crazy. that's that's shocking. I mean, come you know, on, people. We're, it, no one buys it anymore. You know, uh, the, 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 the problem we have is that, and I'm going off on a tangent here, but we have technology, which I know a lot of reasonable about, uh, about um, that shows the art of the possible. So technology moves faster than people. Um and people move faster than companies. So technology means that people have to start to, their expectations go up. They're starting to expect quicker interactions. If I tweet my problem, I expect someone to tweet back quickly, uh, more quickly than if I email and I'll wait a little longer. Um, if I phone in, I'll hope to hopefully get you know through to someone and they'll at least resolve my issue within a, a reasonable period of time. And if it takes them a little longer to answer the phone. Um, but ultimately, you know, technology moves things on very quickly. We have technology providers that are showing the art of the possible in terms of analytics and intelligence and CRM and lots and lots of sexy stuff. Um, yet that technology is moving up, uh, uh, faster than companies are. So whilst companies are buying stuff, they're, they're, they're not putting it into play quickly enough. They're not, um, they're not a, a, adopting it uh, quickly enough and they're not mm. certainly getting it all right. They're only getting bits of it right. And what that means is customers are basically getting disjointed results um, and incorrect kind of channel shift because they got to focus on the thing that maybe isn't right for them. Um, And then ultimately, uh, because of the technology is making it possible, the expectations get so high, but then they're not the most, in my my opinion, uh, from my experience, a lot of the technology providers are not supporting their clients uh, to get the most out of the investment, which is where the sticking point comes because you've got all the potential and people promote it and talk about it and go and sell it. Um, but the reality of what's then delivered is, is there's a bit of a gap. Well, there's quite a gap in some cases. And I think that uh, the opportunity is for that gap to be brought closer. And that will only be done in, in, by a, a whole lot of different people it's not the technology vendors on their yeah. own it's their fault it's the the operations the contact centers all the different roles that play play a part into this you know the experience that's being provided is is not just by the person on the front of on the phone you know or, or on the web chat or on the email it's uh, it's the massive team that is the organization and the supplier network that sits behind everything that results in that one-to-one interaction at that point in time and if any elements of that that group of people that what you could call the big team that sits all behind that if any of those things aren't right and aren't sweet then you're going to let it down and that experience isn't going to be as good as it could be mm-hmm. um might be better than some of the competitive competition but it won't be as good as it could be um so yeah i think i think that's why we have uh, we have the issues that we do i think that uh, that's why I kind of said to myself last year, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to go and have an impact on some big companies. Uh, and I want to be able to improve that experience by helping to plug that gap. And that was my kind of big ambition. 
um, having read this book, the book's got a lot to it. I better get the name of it, haven't I? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of then started to deconstruct that and work back from that uh, that 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 end goal. Um, I started to look where I was at at the time, and I found that there was not the right opportunities for me to uh, have that impact where I was at. I'd been at uh, Brighton and Savio for a five-year period. Um, that's the longest I think I've worked for anyone other than myself. Um, I actually joked about that with my boss, Richard Beard, who, again, is another person who will go to the list of very important people along my journey. Um, but, you know, I found myself going, I need to do this. This is what I want to do. Otherwise, I'm not feeling like I'm yeah. achieving there and, and having the impact that I want to have. Um, and, and yeah, so I, I actually moved roles. There was a, a very, very exciting opportunity that, that came across my, my, my desk uh, towards sort of back end of last year, which uh, I was very fortunate enough to start at the beginning of this year. Or at least I thought it was, um, uh, but unfortunately it didn't work out for me. So I guess sometimes it doesn't, um, mm. uh, and and it was my choice for it to not continue. But I'm very decisive. Uh, I make decisions uh, because I've, I'm, I've I've learned to trust my gut as much as I have have had imposter syndrome for twenty years. I've also learned to trust my gut over those twenty years. Yes, an awful lot. And um, and there are sometimes things that you you I, I on reflection i think i should have picked up on a few uh warning signs and signals that i didn't pick up on or maybe i didn't want to because it was so ah this is the you know on paper it was it was i was super excited it should have been the best thing i've, I've done and it was almost like the natural next step along my kind of journey and, to, and certainly to achieving the things i've set out set myself out to achieve um uh, it's a bump in a road it, it, you know, at the time, I'll be honest with you, well, you know, actually, because I did ring you, um, at the time, at my head went into a very a, a dark place. Um, I really struggled with the fact that it wasn't what I hoped it would be and what I was expecting it to be. I blamed myself quite a bit for that at the time. Um, still do a little bit, probably, but I think um, I made the decision to remove myself from that situation because it wasn't working out, and I think that was the healthiest thing I've done and could have done. Um, and, and and you know what? There's already green shoots starting to happen now. So this is the Martin Hill Wilson thing. So um, obviously we all know about the Sarah Everett murder in, back in March and Martin Hill Wilson was uh, posting some stuff on LinkedIn around how this is actually kind of business as usual for a lot of people. This is how people live their life in fear of these things. And I'm, you know, privileged enough nowadays to not have to even consider you know, I carry my keys in my hand if I'm walking home. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm privileged enough to live somewhere where probably my wife doesn't need to worry about that either. She can walk home from the pub down the road and not have to worry about that. Um, but a lot of people aren't, and I wasn't really aware of that. I only became really aware of that because of the, some of the stuff Martin was putting out there around, around the time of the murder. And it's, you know, I won't go into too much detail, but as soon as you start to look at that, and dig a little and go down that rabbit hole that you actually realize just how um how not like my world a lot of people are living and i guess it's a little bubble isn't it um and i've got a daughter now you know alice is, is five uh, going on 25 um and she will be older soon she you know it's before i know it she's going to be going to the pub um and i 
couldn't move from this picture of this terrible uh, way of living for some, I mean, she was, Sarah Everett was 33 and she's walking home from work and she gets murdered. I mean, in this country, I mean, for me, it's bonkers. I can't get my head around that. Uh, but for a lot of people, that's reality. That's the fear. Um, and Martin's kind of uh, message was, look, we, we can't, I, do, I can't in my capacity today sat here go, I can have an impact on someone who's going to go off and do something like that. What can I control though? What, what do I have influence over? And what can I make it, how can I make a difference? And Martin was very much about, um, he wants to influence organizations to make the way they operate and, work and, and make the, their organizations, which they are in control of, a safer environment, safer places, safe for women. Um, and that that is basically it's it's like um this is a very strike a bit of a tangent but um new york 1980s absolutely dribbling crime everywhere you've got um crack epidemic going on um it's been 70s 80s it's been terrible for so long it's a, an absolute peak and then uh mayor giuliani i think he was called came in with this have you ever heard the broken windows approach yeah yeah. So he came in with this broken windows approach, which was for the for the younger people, it was basically focus on the, the minor crimes, focus on people who were not paying the fares on the, the underground. You know, before he came in, people were just running in there and using everything for free. And, and it, it, the approach is ideally tackle the small stuff and it has a direct impact on the big stuff. And, and it really worked. I mean, mm. they halved crime in the early 90s from what they were what it was in the 80s. So coming back to the, the Martin Hill Wilson thing, his kind of um I'm likening his approach to that. So what we're doing is we're looking at organisations and saying, when someone's having a conversation or having a, an interaction within your organisation, you can control how that's done and you can make sure that it's done in the right way and you can make sure that we don't do a lot of the stuff that people possibly don't know they're doing but are doing, so mansplaining. Uh, no, I don't see that and guilty of that. Um, not intentionally. I call myself... Um, unconsciously compliant or I was I'm now consciously compliant hopefully or getting there um, yeah. Yeah. but it's, it's kind of a bit of an awareness piece so it's kind of like it's not a case of being woke or any of that silly stuff or and, and you know it's not a case of doing it because it's trendy it's a case of actually it's a problem didn't realize it was now I do kind of don't want my daughter in 10 years 15 year time to have to be worrying about that stuff because if we don't tackle it, if we don't improve it, it will be worse. Um, uh, and as a father, I can't not do something. So, um, so yeah, I, I kind of got involved in a couple of conversations that he was having. And as a result of that, I'm volunteering for this. I've built him a website. I've got a load of uh, stuff behind the scenes working for him. And that's given me time to, to, to so we're, we're kind of, I have a, every week, every other week, about an hour or so session with him um, working on that which is great. Um, it's been good because he's benefited from me being able to do a couple of things behind the scenes for brain food, Not, nothing major, but, you know, a couple of things that I've been able to help him with there. And that's then turned into a, okay, so I don't need pay for that, but you can give me some of your time in, in return for the stuff mm -hmm. that I've done. And, we're, we're, uh, and he's helping me in this current period that where I'm, you know, I've not currently got a job. Um, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do 
and how do I achieve this improving everything for everyone uh, objective that I've set myself um, and, and he's helping me massively to be able to focus on that and, and coordinate on that and we're bouncing ideas around and, and all that kind of stuff and it's almost like I've, I've stalked him and forced him to be my mentor <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I don't know how if that'll be his interpretation hopefully not um, but yeah that that's you know if you'd have told me that we'd be doing this six seven years ago I'd have been like wow that's ace um, it's funny that this is the thing that's come the opportunity that's come out of the back of going somewhere that didn't work out but I guess that's another message for, for, for people on, on here is yeah. you know there's always no matter how bad it is you know I was literally I had uh, I couldn't I found moments uh, listening to this podcast people won't believe it, but I had moments where I couldn't even talk um, I, and I was I had moments where I would I was going to bed during the day um, I was snapping at, at my wife and my daughter and, and just all the wrong stuff, you know, and as soon as you look at yourself and you recognise those behaviours, you go like, this is just not, I'm not in the right place. So I, you know, I, I removed myself from what I felt was the problem uh, and that was healthy. And for anyone who's in a dark place like that, you know, doing that, it, it, it takes balls, yeah, because yeah. that's a job that pays well for me, at least it was, you know, the best, on paper the best job I've ever had um but it wasn't worth it so um yeah I'm now doing stuff that I never thought I'd be doing and it's exciting and uh, but you, you demonstrated it today Rob you you you're a great guy you're a subject matter expert this kind of faith in um karma is gonna see you right I'm excited to see um where you end up and I'm sure people will want to get in touch with you um, with the thing you're doing with Martin Hill Wilson, making organisations safe for women, I was pleased to be part of that very first meeting. And I know yeah, BPA, BPA quality are, are right behind it. Um, more power to you. We we need to make the change in society so these things don't happen. And um, I think it's a great thing you guys are, are doing. You've been an excellent guest. Um, definitely want you to come back on, and we can pick some other other topics that you're passionate about and I'm guessing as well you're more than happy for people to contact you to talk about projects talk about anything yeah anything just as yeah just reach out I'm on LinkedIn I'm very yeah dead obvious find Rob Wilkinson uh, on there um and yeah find me connect I'll accept um ask me ask away um check out my posts if there's anything on there that's useful great um the, the, the one thing I'd like to leave with, though, um, just going back to kind of my pre-call centre career, was that I was in a pretty poor place uh, in terms of not being able to find my own kind of space and have somewhere to live. So uh, I'm also supporting at the moment uh, a charity called Beam. So this is really close to my heart. It's it's basically using technology for good. I'm all about technology. Uh, but these guys are basically doing crowdfunding for homeless people in London. Uh, it's fantastic. If you get a chance to check it out, just have a look at what they're doing. And uh, so that's Beam, B-E-A-M. Um, it's uh, it's a really interesting startup. And I'm sure it's going to go places. I'm supporting them with a contribution. And I'm talking about what they're doing every chance they get and on LinkedIn and stuff like that as well. So, yeah, it just obviously coming from where I come from, it, it's quite close to home, that one. So, yeah. No, by all means. And we will drop all the details in the post and um, please do check it out we'll put it in the the podcast write up um but rob thank you very much for coming on 
And uh, oh, no, thanks care, for having me. Yeah, yeah. Cheers. Thanks a lot. See you, Rob. See you. Bye. Do you know how many files your employees have uploaded, downloaded, emailed, airdropped, slacked, or shared via Google Drive today? A lot of that data has left your organization, and you don't even know it. Visit Code42.com to learn how Insider prevents data exfiltration. To show you how easy it is to file a claim with Geico, we hired a nature show host. In a native habitat of a suburban driveway, the poor victim of a broken windshield is left assessing his vehicle utterly helpless. Well, not true. If he's got Geico, he can file a claim online, over the phone, or with his handy mobile app. But like a lone gazelle, he'll suddenly be left to fend for himself, awaiting his terrible fate. Nope. Geico will assign him a designated claims team to help him out, too. So the gazelle gets his car fixed and everything. Wow. Nature is so cool. Geico. Great service. Without all the drama.